First Peter 4, 12-19 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share, as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is his time for judgment to begin at the house household of God, and if it begins with us, what will the out what will be the outcome for for those who do not obey the gospel? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faith, faithful creator while doing good. Thank you. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask that you will illuminate the scriptures to us by your Holy Spirit. Give us understanding. Give us insight into this word today. Lord, speak through me. May what, what comes out of my mouth be um, what is proper and edifying so that it will build us up. And uh, God, transform us by your word. So God, I ask that you will be here present with us. And in this act of worship, as we, as we receive the message from your word, Lord God, let us not go away from here unchanged. God, we seek to be transformed to be like Jesus. God, and we ask that this morning. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, y'all remember, um, you remember the stories of the early church from Acts, right? Remember about how, how Jesus ascended into heaven and how his disciples then were gathered together ready and waiting and, and Jesus had promised them that you're going to have receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then you are, you will be, he says, you will be my witnesses. Um, and the apostles then received the Holy Spirit at, at the, at the uh, time of Pentecost. Did you all know that last Sunday, I don't know if Matt mentioned this or anyone else did, but you know that last Sunday is the Sunday that, that churches around the world celebrate Pentecost? They celebrate that event that took place in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit coming upon and filling the apostles so that they could go out and speak boldly. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is still alive and working? Yes, He is. He's still working. He, he is the one that enables us to even respond to Jesus in faith. He's the one that enables us to speak boldly. He's the one that enables us to do good works that that He has prepared, God has prepared for us in advance to do. The Holy Spirit was working in, in this early church, and it's such an exciting... Um, I, I, I want to I take us through Acts sometime and share messages from the book of Acts because it's such an exciting time in the history of not only the church, but of the world. What Jesus was doing by the Holy Spirit in and through these, these men who... who were unlearned. They hadn't gone to school. They hadn't had a seminary education. They hadn't, hadn't um, gone off to the universities. 
They just, they just, they were with Jesus. And they heard Jesus. And they heard the story that Jesus told. And they heard what he, and they had what he did and what he said. And they just passed that on. They had the Holy Spirit empowering them. Well, I want to bring your attention to, to one thing. I know you're thinking, well, aren't we supposed to be in 1 Peter? And I wanted to share the story about what happened to Peter and the other dis- disciples so that we have a context for what Peter is saying here and why he's saying what he is saying to his readers and to us. So in Acts chapter 5, that chapter starts off with this crazy story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? And these two people who, who um, came and they, they sold some property and they, they kept some of the profits for themselves and then they, they brought the rest of it. And the assumption there, the implication is there that they, they, they probably came in and said, oh yeah, this is what we sold the property for and here's the money. So we're good Christians. Look what we're doing. Look what we're doing. Like everybody else, we're doing some really cool stuff. And of course, you know the story that they were lying to the to the apostles. They were lying to the Holy Spirit. And they died because of it. And all this crazy stuff is happening. And many other signs and wonders, these miraculous things are taking place. And people are coming to, coming to faith in Christ. And it's just this awesome experience. But, but what happens is that the apostles keep getting arrested. Because the priests and the rulers in Jerusalem at the time, they said, we don't want you talking about Jesus. Because everyone's going to you instead of coming to us. So you're taking all of our power away from us. Stop, stop talking about Jesus, they said. Stop talking about Jesus. So at this one point, they, they get arrested, they get beaten, they, they, get, they get tested, and Peter and the other disciples said very boldly, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. God sent Jesus to give, (laughs) to give to us and to give to other people. Not to take them, not to take, not not to say, I want you to give me what you have. We give, for instance, offerings and gifts. Because He gave to us. Jesus is a giving God. God is a giving and forgiving God. And they said, we're witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Well, they have this this discussion, and one of the Pharisees on the council says, look, um, if God is with these guys, we're not going to be able to stop it. But if God's not with them, then they'll fail. Eventually it'll fail. They'll die out just like all of the other movements to try to overthrow the religious and the military and political powers. So what did they do? When they they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. Then they, the apostles, left the presence of the council rejoicing rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. How in the world could they experience that arrest and beatings and sufferings? And this is just one of many stories 
of the apostles and what they went through because they believed the message that they had. And they wanted to boldly proclaim it. How in the world could they suffer like that and walk away from it rejoicing? How in the world could Paul and Silas be in a, in a jail cell singing praise songs, singing, How great is our God! How could they do that? Well, I think Peter has an answer right here in his letter. This is what he's writing about. And, and he's not writing some theoretical, like, well, let's just kind of, let's think theologically about suffering. He's saying, I've been there. I have suffered, and I came out of it rejoicing. How in the world did he do that? Well, if you're taking notes, which maybe you're not, but if, if, you, if you are taking notes, I'm going to give you four words to write down in the blank on the back of your handout. And there are these words. Joy, blessing, glory, and trust. These four things were what guided Peter and what he wanted to guide his readers with. And these are the things that are right here in this paragraph that we're going to unpack here now. First of all, we suffer with power by having joy. We suffer with power by having joy. Look at verses 12 to 13 again. He says, don't be surprised at the, at the trial that you're having, the fiery trial or the fiery ordeal, when it comes up upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Remember what he said. You'll have to have a, a really good memory because about almost three months ago when we started working through 1 Peter, we saw this, that in the first chapter that um, Peter said that it, you, you rejoice in God, though, in verse 6, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's reminding his readers, and he's reminding us that, that sufferings and difficulties and trials are there to test the genuineness of our faith. Not, not, to, not to say, um, are you going to fail? <laughs> are you going to fail? This is a test. Did you fail the test? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> we don't always pass the test, right? We don't always stand up under trial, do we? But he's saying, no, that the kind of testing he's showing is to show that it's real, and it's true faith. That's the testing that he's talking about. So the suffering is there to help discipline us, to show us how great it is, the treasure that we have, and how great this salvation is that we have. It's awesome. And so that's what, that's what Peter's trying to, trying to say to his readers. And he's reminding them not to be surprised. Don't be surprised when you go through trials, when you go through sufferings, when you go through difficulties, um, as if, oh, this is so strange. Why is this happening? That's what, that's what Jesus said was going to happen. I, I looked at this passage, or this verse, and I, I shared it with you a couple of weeks ago, because really, honestly, this is part two of the message that I preached on June 1st. 
um, with that little interlude in between that Matt gave you guys last week. But, but Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When people persecute you and revile you and utter evil things against you falsely, he said, Jesus said, rejoice and be glad. How many of that, how many of you find it easy to do? I don't see any hands, so I'm assuming that we're all in this together. It's a difficult thing to do. How in the world are we supposed to do that? What Jesus calls us to do, what he, what he actually literally commands us to do. What, well, uh, Peter repeats it in verse 13 in our passage, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. What do you think that means? Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. It's that if you are suffering with Christ for the cause of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, and for the sake of Jesus, rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. That you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. What is going to be so great about when His glory is revealed? Well, Jesus said, because your reward is great in heaven. Because when we see God's glory, and we see the glory of the risen Jesus, that's going to put all other sufferings all other pains, all other fears to utter shame. They are nothing compared with the greatness and the glory of our risen Savior Jesus. Well, he says that he goes on in the next couple of verses and he talks about blessing. He started out with joy and he talks about blessing. He, he says essentially that we suffer with power by receiving blessing. By receiving blessing. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Back to, um, back to Matthew. Um, Matthew chapter 5 once again. I'll read the other verse. The one I skipped. When he said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. How? On my account. When you are living and speaking on the account of Christ, when you are living for Jesus, when you are speaking the good news and then people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of things, evil things about you, Jesus says... You are blessed. He just says it straight out, emphatically. Not like you might be blessed one day or you know, could, could get some blessing out of that. Or it, just, it just depends on how you look at it. You know, well, just, if you have a positive attitude in that circumstance, it'll be okay. No, he says you're blessed. Just straight out, you are blessed. How in the world could we be blessed? How in the world could we be blessed in a situation like that? Because, verse 14, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The work of the Holy Spirit, we were just seeing, come thou fount of every blessing. Come thou fount of every blessing. What are we singing there? Well, really, we're asking, Holy Spirit, fill us. 
Holy Spirit, empower us for the mission that you have given us. And, and Peter is saying that the Spirit of glory and of God, the Holy Spirit, rests upon you. Just as the Spirit came out of heaven and rested on, descended on, settled on Jesus in the form of a dove at His baptism, that Spirit, Holy Spirit, rests upon us. Just as the Holy Spirit rested in, in those tongues of fire in Acts chapter 2 on the apostles and filled them and enabled them to speak the word boldly, with power, without fear. The Spirit rests on us too. If we have the Spirit, that means we have everything. That means it doesn't matter what they do to our bodies. It doesn't matter how they treat us. It doesn't matter if we lose our jobs, or our homes, or our lives, or our families. Jesus said those things are going to happen. Why are you surprised at that? Why are you surprised? But, he says in verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. He reminds his readers, there is a way you can suffer. There's a way that you could suffer that isn't honorable, that doesn't receive a blessing. That when we suffer because of our own sin, when we suffer because of our own sin, Gosh, all of these things are pretty horrible. <laughs> we think about murder and thief and, and this, this evildoer is just like one who's totally consumed with evil. And then he says, or as a meddler. Oh, by the way, when you're annoying people <laughs> and you suffer for that, uh, when you are getting into other people's business and you suffer for that, he says, there's no honor in that. There's no blessing in that. So don't suffer that way, right? Suffer because you're so consumed with Jesus that He's coming out of you everywhere and at all times. That the, that the story of, of God is your story. It's the one that you are, are embraced and you, the one that you are just totally consumed with. Because if you're living like that, you are going to be blessed. And don't be surprised if you suffer on, along the way. Joy, blessing. But he also goes on and he talks about glory. Joy and blessing and glory. He says, we have power, or excuse me, we suffer with power by giving glory to God. What he says next, verse 16. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Let him glorify God in that name. Why, you, why, you, why is he talking about glory? Why is he talking about glorifying God right here? And what is, what is, so, what is the big deal with glorifying God? Well, remember our, our key verse in the, whole, in the whole letter so far. Remember the verse that we, asked the, we even asked the little, little kids in the, in the bulletin handout to memorize that verse so they could get a prize from Miss Beverly, right? Right? Maddie, did you memorize that verse? Do you remember it? Do you remember it now? No, okay. It's been a while since you since you said it out loud. Remember that verse, verse two, or excuse me, chapter two, verse twelve. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, 
so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That really is like the center, central uh, theme of the entire letter. Everything else is kind of, kind of wrapped up in that and, and, and ex- explains what that's all about. But what is he, what is he trying to get at? What is, what is the ultimate end goal of our good conduct? It's not so that they'll go, you guys are really good Christians. Or I really like the River Church because they're really, they're really good people and they love people. and they, uh, uh, those are, That's okay. That's good. That, we should have people say that about us. Oh, they're so generous. Oh, they like to be a blessing in the community. They should say those things about us. But that's not the ultimate end. He does, that's not what he says. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, not that they turn around and start speaking good about you, but that they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify God. That's what it's all about. One of the, one of the old catechisms that trained, trained young Christians on the truths of the Bible and, and, and the truths of, of our faith said, what is the chief end of man? The answer, to glorify God. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The chief end, uh, the, the purpose for which we were created is to glorify God. And that's what He says right here. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him focus on what is important. Get, get our minds right on what is our chief purpose in life. And that is to glorify God in the name of Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. So if, if, we're, if we are having trouble um, with all of these other issues, let's start thinking long term what our ultimate purpose in life and in eternity is. Well, I'm having a hard time just getting out of bed every day. I'm having a hard time just, just holding my, biting my tongue and not saying what I want to say to all the people around me that are annoying the heck out of me. Um, I'm really just, you know what I'm saying? That we go through that and we, well, maybe what we ought to do is raise our gaze a little bit higher and see that the ultimate end for all of us, for our creation, is the glory of God. And say, what is the glory of God compared to what I'm going through? Oh, I'm reminded right now of what Paul said to the Corinthian church when he said that the current sufferings that we go through are nothing compared with the eternal weight of glory. The heaviness, the immenseness, the awesomeness of the glory of God is everything. And what we're going through is, is just a blink of an eye in eternity. That suffering, the difficulties that we're facing day after day, they're not nothing, but they're not everything. We've got to get our minds right on that at least. Don't be ashamed of being a Christian. That's what he's saying. Don't be ashamed of being a Christian. Don't be ashamed to suffer. Just like the apostles said, we rejoice at being able or to be, to be shamed because of the name of Jesus. But let him glorify God in that name. This is tricky now in verses 17 and 18. I'm just going to touch on this briefly because I want to get to the last word. 
that we are focusing on in this message. But he says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? If it's going to start with us, judgment, well, what does that mean? God's going to judge us? I thought he was going to judge unbelievers. Well, then he says, he quotes, he quotes from, where does he quote from? Let me check. Proverbs, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What he's saying is that when God comes to judge the world, it's going to go really badly for everyone who doesn't believe. In the meantime, his people, God's people, as the scriptures say, as the prophets spoke, and as if we read the book of Revelation, we see in Revelation too that that. God's people are going to suffer. They're going to go through trials. They're going to go through difficulties. They're going to go through persecutions. Don't be surprised at that. (laughs) Don't be surprised at it. Be prepared because it's happening. And it's going to happen. So don't be surprised at that. That's part of God's judging. Not in that He's saying, because you're an imperfect sinners, that I'm going to judge you for that. But because Jesus is, there's, there's going to be a disciplining time. That's, what, that's how the early church understood the judgment of God on his own people. That, that we're going to go through this time of discipline, this time of testing. And if we're experiencing that, because we are, if we're experiencing that, it's going to be a lot worse for those who are outside of God's grace. It's going to be horrible. Shouldn't that be a motivation for us to tell the saving news of Jesus to the people around us? It's going to be horrible. You're not going to want to go through that. You think everything is okay now. You don't want to face judgment. Come into the body of Christ. Come into the community of faith. Come in and receive grace from Jesus. We will suffer for a little while and then we will live eternally in glory. Peter said he, wants, he wanted his people and he wants us to think about joy, to think about blessing, to think about glory. Then he also says that we suffer with power by placing our trust in God. Placing our trust in God. The last verse of this passage. Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That entrusting, that is, that is giving over our lives to God. You take care of my life. It's not mine anymore to, to rule. I've been doing it all my life. I've been trying to do it my way. And Peter's saying, you know what? If you're going to suffer for doing good, or according to God's will, according to literally um, the will, uh, the, according to the will of God, the emphasis on the will, he says, if we're going to do that, you've got to entrust your soul to the faithful creator. What does that mean? Because how do we trust God when everything is going really badly? Trust happens when we do good despite our circumstances. 
the very last phrase, the very last couple of words, while doing good. That's how we trust God. Because it doesn't show any, indicate any faith on our part to say, I believe in God, I trust in God, and then when things get bad, to turn away from doing good. When things go wrong, we end up retaliating just like everybody else in the world. Doesn't do any good. But by doing good, by obeying, by being faithful to do what God has called us to do, to keep on living honorable lives as believers, as a community on mission, by doing that, we show everybody and we show ourselves and we show God that we, we trust Him, that we believe Him, that we, we have our faith placed firmly in Him because we, He is a faithful Creator. We can have faith in Him because He's faithful. Just this past week, I'm going to, sh- I'm going to share this quick story. So just this past week, I had an opportunity to, um, to speak to a couple of different people who um, have some extended conversations with a couple of guys who don't believe in Jesus. And they just don't. One of them said, well, I'm an atheist. And I said, really? Why? So well, okay, maybe I'm not an atheist. I just don't know. I mean, maybe I'm more agnostic. So well, why? Tell me about this. What's the deal? And he said, well, you know, because you know, a few years ago, um, there was this one big name pastor who got arrested for doing something he shouldn't have been doing, and and you know, I just people, uh, Christians in the church, they they're just like that all the time, and that kind of stuff happens all the time, and and I said, yeah, well. You don't like that? No, I think it's terrible. I said, good. Well, Jesus does, thinks it's terrible too. <laughs> Jesus doesn't like it either. Then he came and said, stop being a hypocrite. Stop saying one thing and doing another thing. Jesus didn't like it either. So you're in good company. <laughs> Talked to another guy, and he, he gave me almost the same kind of story. He said, well, I just, um, I just think, I think um, the church is just very judgmental. So what, what would... What would well, how would our church respond when a, a tattooed biker and his family come walking through the door? We'd love them, right? Yeah. We'd say, welcome. But that's not what he's experienced. That's not what he believes about the church. He believes that the church is full of people who say one thing, but they don't really do good. They, they, all, they say one thing and they do another thing. The witness of the church, the, the, the poor witness of the church, and Christians in, in, uh, in general, have caused a lot of people to say, I, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. If that's who's following Jesus, I don't, I don't want that. How is, how is our faith being demonstrated in how we live? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Do we believe that our creator is faithful? Do we believe that he's actually good? Do, be, do we believe that he's, even, that he's even sovereign over all of the things that are going on, our, on in our lives? Do we believe what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verses 28? That we believe that God works all things out according to to good 
for those who love God and are called according to his purpose? Do we believe that God is working those things out? That God does have a plan in that? That God is sovereign over that? A few years ago, and I, my wife is having this really terrible back pain, and I, and I can totally empathize with her because a few years ago, I was in Iraq and I had an injury and I had this back pain uh, constant for about three years with every once in a while it got better and then it got bad again and, and it feel better and then it get bad again. But in the midst of those first couple of months of that pain, um, I was struck, <laughs> I was struck with how good God was in the midst of that. And, it, and I, I don't think I would ever have come to that point had, I, had God not been teaching me prior to that, prior to that injury, about His sovereignty and about how He is ruler over everything, that nothing occurs outside of His knowledge and His ultimate sovereign plans for the universe. That God doesn't desire pain and suffering for His people. God is not sent, setting us up to go through difficulties. Let's just see how they'll respond. Let's just, you know, that's not how God is. His moral will is not for us to suffer and not for evil to occur in the world. We know that because He said it in His, in his Word over and over again. He doesn't want that. But nothing happens outside of His control and out of His sovereignty. And I don't think, for me, I could, and unless I would have known that, that God is a faithful creator, that He's always good, that He's always right, that He's always perfect, that He's always just. And if I wouldn't have been confronted with that in my time, in, his, in the Word, and in prayer, and God wouldn't have been teaching me that from His Word prior to that time when I faced a lot of unbearable suffering and pain, I don't know if I would have held up under that. But I did because I believe that God was good. Because that's what he tells me. He's good. He's sovereign. We sang a song this morning or earlier in our gathering, Blessed Be Your Name. Right? Remember the story of Job? All these catastrophes happened to him and his wife is like, why don't you just give up, Job? Just curse God. Obviously, God's out to get you. He's trying to get you. Job had no idea what was going on in heaven. He had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. He had no idea about God's ultimate purposes. And quite frankly, neither do we. We read that story of Job and we go, uh, I still don't get it. Why did he do that? Why did God let that happen? What's going on here? We still don't know ultimately what God's mysterious plans are for the universe and why evil and suffering are taking place. But we do know this. We have Job's response. And how did he respond? He said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. He would not, he would not sin in charging God with evil. He would continue to praise and worship God in the midst of that. He continued to entrust himself to his faithful creator. That's our challenge this morning, too. So how do we suffer with power? By having joy, receiving blessing, by giving glory to God, by 
placing our trust in God. We do all those things. Joy, blessing, glory, trust. Where do we, how do we do that? Where does that come from? Is that something we can learn? Well, yes, we'll learn it by Jesus. The Holy Spirit will teach it to us. Are we born with it? Well, in a way, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're born with it. When we're reborn. <laughs> when we're born again. Remember Peter's words at the beginning of this? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has caused us to be born again. So God the Father, oh, this is really cool, it's Father's Day. God the Father caused us to be born again into a living hope, into an eternal, etc., uh, etc., et the inheritance that never fades. We have a Heavenly Father who's caused us to be born again. And so when that happens, that changes everything. We receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of glory and of God, as he says in verse 14, who enables us to have joy, who enables us to receive blessing, who enables us to give glory to God, who enables us to place our trust in God. I trust. I look out here and I see, I see my family. I see fellow believers in Christ. We need to hear this message because the times of suffering and difficulty will never end. They're not going away. They could get worse. They could get a little bit better. But the question is, are we being a faithful witness? Are we being faithful with the good news that we have been entrusted with by God? Are we trusting on the Holy Spirit's power in us to do that? Or our own? It's right there. It's available for us. It's available for all who believe. That's who we are. We're a community on mission. And we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what God has called us to do here in Moxie and all over Yakima and Washington State and the world. Let's pray.